Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, again, welcome to First Alliance Church. My name's Andrew. I'm so glad you're with us tuning in wherever you are in the world or in your journey in life. This morning, we're getting back into our series uh, in the book of Acts as we've been seeing uh, the crucified and risen Jesus continuing his work and now setting things up to continue his work in the world through his church and through his spirit. Last week, we considered the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And today, we are moving on to consider the effects of that baptism, what happens when God immerses our lives with his personal and powerful presence on an ongoing basis as we walk with Jesus, abide in him, and keep in step with his spirit. So I invite you to open a Bible as we get into our passage this morning. And again, we're in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And we're focusing here for, uh, this is the second of three weeks because these eight verses are so foundational for the book of Acts. So I invite you to have your Bible open as we hear God's word this morning. Acts 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Living God, I thank you for these words which your Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write. And Lord, I ask that you would send your spirit upon us now as we consider these words and would we enter into the reality of which they speak as never before. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. I think in the last year, we have all felt powerless. If there's one thing that the COVID-19 pandemic has done, it has brought home the fact to us that ultimately in our lives, we aren't fully in control. Indeed, we aren't in control. Rich, poor, whether rulers of nations or those living in the slums have all been affected by the COVID-19 virus. Perhaps not in the same way, and perhaps not in the ways that they can access care. But this year has exposed our powerlessness and it does not feel good. Jesus' disciples also knew what it was 
to be powerless. Remember that when Jesus had died, they were sent reeling. They thought it was all over. They felt powerless. But here in our text today, as Jesus has risen and he is with his disciples, he announces to them that power is coming, that help is coming, that they are going to be immersed with the Holy Spirit and receive power when that happens. And so that's what we're considering today, power from on high. And so we're going to look at how we get it and how we live it, how we get it and how we live it. So first, how do we get power from on high? Look at verse eight in your Bible. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He says that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. In other words, the coming of the Spirit is the coming of this power from on high. But, but what exactly does that mean? Every Star Wars fan knows that this past week was May the 4th, as in may the force be with you. And Star Wars gives us a really good picture of what the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not like the force in Star Wars. In Star Wars, the force is an impersonal energy that you see the characters learning to wield so that they can do backflips and beat up bad guys. The Holy Spirit is not like that. He is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person, as we saw last week. The powerful, personal presence of God. Not a force to be wielded, and manipulated, but a person to be known and loved. And so Jesus is talking about God's spirit flooding our lives with God's own personal presence and that this is a source of incredible power for us who believe in Jesus. And we get it from the person of the Holy Spirit. Power from on high, spiritual power is the power of a person. This is really important to note. It is the power of a person. And this just changes everything when we think about how we live out of and get this power in our lives. It's not so much about our own spiritual techniques. It's not like in Star Wars where we're trying to access the force. It's from a person and his presence in our lives. And this means that it is always God's power, not our power. And therefore, we get it by living in ongoing connection with God. Let me illustrate this for you. If you have been anywhere downtown, you, you'll know that there are streetcars uh, zipping up and down the streets of downtown with an uh, ecosystem of overhead wires that span the downtown core. The source of power that runs a streetcar is not in the streetcar itself. The source of power is in the wires above. And the streetcar's connection to that wire is the crucial thing for the power in that streetcar. And in the picture there, you can see that there's a little rod coming off the back of the streetcar. I did some research. That is called the trolley pole. And the trolley pole connects to the overhead wires and there's power. It's a beautiful thing. But what happens when that trolley pole gets uh, jostled and comes off? Sometimes when, when the streetcar is doing a big turn, you'll see it happen. What happens? Yeah, you get a dead streetcar stuck in the middle of the intersection. 
And the TTC worker gets out, runs around, pulls the string, and tries to get it back on the line so that they can get out of the intersection. You see, the connection is crucial. The power of the streetcar is not in the streetcar itself, it's in the wires, and it's the same for us in the Christian life. It is God's power in us. It's, it's not in us. It's always in him. And so our connection to God is crucial. Our connection to Christ is crucial. And without that connection, there's no power. And by the way, as we are talking about the person of the Holy Spirit and how he floods our life with God's presence, we need to just pause and recognize that the work of the Spirit is not only to connect us with himself, but as the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit puts us in touch. The Spirit connects us with the Father and the Son. Indeed, it's the specific work of the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus, the Son, uh, to show Jesus and to connect us to Jesus. And we need to appreciate at every turn the Trinitarian nature of life in the Spirit, of life filled with the Spirit, that the, the Spirit proceeds from the Father through the Son and to us, and then from us back through the Son and to the Father. This is the way that in Jesus we get in on that relationship of love that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. It's glorious. But coming back, when Jesus tells his disciples that they are going to receive power from on high, he's talking about the power of a person. And therefore, power in my life, power in your life, is dependent on our connection to that person. The problem is, and the problem that we've seen in the world really since the beginning or shortly after the beginning, is that our connection with God was broken. Whether you're a Christian or not, this morning, we can all look out on the world. We can all uh, look in on ourselves and take an honest look at our life and see something's off. Something is deeply broken in the world. And, and Christianity offers what I think is the most reasonable and comprehensive diagnosis of the problem. The problem is sin. That, that when we disobeyed God, the world, the entire created order broke and was twisted, and we lost our connection to the source of the universe, the source of life and love and, yes, of power. That's what sin does. Sin separates. Sin separates us from God, and when we are living separate from the creator, we break down, and we've been breaking down ever since. But the Bible announces the solution. Not only do we get an accurate diagnosis of the problem, we get an announcement of what the solution is, that God has done everything needed to restore our connection back to him and that he is putting the world back together. It's incredible news. He is making all things new and he did it by giving himself. He did it by giving himself to us by becoming a human and dying on a cross to cover our sin and break its power over us. Jesus has restored the connection that broke the world, that separated us from God. And he did it because he loves us and he is carrying out his plan for the renewal 
of all things. It's, it's incredible grace. It's not because we deserved it. It's because this is God's heart to bring people back. And that's the invitation given to you and I to live life in vital connection with our God. And maybe today you're keenly aware of the disconnect. You're aware that there is such fragmentation and pain in your life and you feel powerless to figure it out and figure out a way forward. You need to know that God has given himself for you. All you need to do is put your trust in him. Just put your trust in him. Acknowledge the powerlessness of all our ways of trying to find significance, of trying to fill the hole that we feel and just come to him and say, Jesus, I take you in faith. Thank you for restoring my connection with God. You see, we can have power from on high because God has restored that connection through Jesus Christ. So, How do we live it? That's how we get it. How do we live it out? What does this look like in the Christian life? And there are three practical ways we can live this out that are suggested to us in the text and also more broadly in the narrative of Acts. The first thing is that we obey. We obey. I mean, as we read on in the book of Acts, obedience characterizes the nature of the church as they follow Jesus in the book of Acts. And it's really clear that they're not obeying Jesus uh, because they're trying to earn God's love. They're not obeying Jesus out of fear, out of guilt. They're obeying Jesus because God has already loved and accepted them. And so their response is, is to do what he says because they know he has power. And his way is the truth and his way leads to life. And so what we see is they they follow his teaching. They, They live out his example. They speak the words that he gives them when they're caught in tight situations. And even they're willing to obey, even if it costs them. Even if it costs them. In Acts chapter four, verse 19, just a a few pages over, We read that as Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, now apostles, uh, they've been preaching, they've been announcing to people what has been going on, and they've been arrested. They've been imprisoned, and now they are brought before the powers of their day, the seat of political power and of religious power, and they tell them, stop teaching in the name of Jesus. They try to silence them, and check out what they say in response. They say, judge for yourself whether it is right in God's eyes or in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. It's this incredible picture of the transformation that has happened in the disciples. I mean, just a few chapters earlier in Luke's gospel at the cross, all all of Jesus' disciples deserted him. I mean, Peter himself was there. And when a little girl said to Peter, aren't you one of his followers? Peter denied Jesus and he fled. But here they are at the seat of power and powerful people are trying to silence them. And yet they have been so convicted and convinced of the power of God that they are able to obey Jesus even against the grain of the religious powers coming against them. That's the power 
That's the difference, sorry, that the power of God makes in our lives. You see this transformation in his disciples that they are willing to obey and they do obey even though it will cost them. And and what church tradition speaks to us of is the many ways that disciples of Jesus actually lost their life because they obeyed. Because they obeyed, because our faith in Jesus isn't just about saying a prayer and so I get a ticket to heaven. Putting our faith in Jesus means we give him our allegiance. We give him our life allegiance that he now has a claim over me and that I respond to his claim and his grace and his gospel with loving obedience. See, one of the differences that the power of God and the spirit of God makes in our life is that he convicts us of the powerlessness of everything else in comparison with the power of Christ. He convicts us, the spirit convicts us of the wickedness of sin on the one hand and on the other hand of the greatness of God, the holiness of God. And this conviction about sin and about God allows us to leave sin behind because we've experienced something so much greater, so much more transformative, so much more real that we are empowered to follow God and to choose Christ in every circumstance. It's not that we do it perfectly, but we come back to him again and again, repenting, throwing ourselves on his grace. Friends, obedience is crucial to living out the power of God, and that's not something we often hear from the church or from the pulpit these days. But obedience is crucial. We don't obey to be loved and accepted by God, but we obey in response to his gracious, loving acceptance of us already in Christ. So we live out this power when we obey Christ. Second, we live it when we give it. We live it when we give it, give. We live out the power of God when we give it away. Now let me explain. In the world, power works this way. Power works such that you want to stockpile, you want to hoard as much money, property, strength, resources, security, whatever it is, you're hoarding it, you're stockpiling it for yourself. And the more you stockpile, the more power you have. But that's not how power from on high works. You see, power from on high works in the way that the God who is that power works because it's his power. And how does God work? God gives. God gives himself. He gives himself to us and so that we might give to others. In other words, we do not experience power from on high when we try to stockpile it for ourselves. Rather, we experience it when we give it away, when we become a channel for God's power to come into us and spill over into others. Our cup overflows It's said in Psalm 23. That's how power from on high works. We're not meant to put a lid on the cup. We're not meant to try and save it for ourselves because we're afraid of spending too much of this power because, friends, the source of the power is limitless. That well does not run dry. It's such good news. And so we use that power in the way God uses it, which is self-giving, used for the benefit of others, 
acting in service of the world. I mean, check out Jesus' clearest statement about this. He's, he's talking to his disciples, and his disciples are really caught up with the world's notion of power and greatness. And here's what Jesus says to them. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They dominate, they subjugate, they exploit. And Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man talking about himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the teaching of Jesus about how we as his disciples hold power. And it's also laid out in his example for us. Like this wasn't just lived out when Jesus died on the cross. At every turn in his life, Jesus embodied the self-giving love of God. He gave himself for others. And so we live it when we too give it because the most powerful thing in the world is not sheer unbridled force. The most powerful thing in the world is love. It's love. This is what our doctrine of God tells us, right? Think about God, the most powerful being in the universe as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In, in the church, we say he is the Trinity or triune, meaning he exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this relationship of love and has existed in that relationship from all eternity and will exist as such from all eternity. That's why in 1 John it says that God is love. It's a statement about the essence of God. But this is also what the cross of Jesus shows us, that when the Son of God took on flesh and became like one of us, he didn't use his power for his own advantage, he didn't exploit, he didn't dominate, he didn't subjugate. Rather, he gave himself and was dominated by the most powerful empire in the world. He was crushed. He was crushed by the forces of evil that wanted to kill God's son. But that wasn't the end, was it? Because there was a deeper power at work. The power of God, the power of love, because after evil exerted all of its strength and power to crush the Son of God, he rose. He rose from the dead. Evil did its worst and he overcame because God who is love is stronger. That's the power of God. In his love, he created the world. He is redeeming the world and he is going to make all things new. And let me just say, as I've been thinking about the power of God's self-giving love this week, I can't think of any more clear picture of that love than the love of mothers for their children. I mean, let's be honest, moms, dads, stay-at-home parents, it has been a rough go this year. And as you can see from that meme on your screen, yes, for Mother's Day, what mothers really want is to see their kids get on that school bus and go to school. I mean, amen, hallelujah, that would be awesome. But let me connect this to you because I think there's an even greater gift here. Moms, when you give up everything for your kids, when you give up your autonomy, uh, and in the nine months of pregnancy, you give up your body, and subsequent to when your kids are born, you also give up your body because you become kind of a punching bag. 
You sometimes give up your sanity for these little humans who need so much patience and love and guidance. Let me just say that the, the role of a mother is just such a clear picture of God's power at work in the world through self-giving love. You need to know that in the midst of the mundane, in the midst of the droning on of the long days, God is with you. God is with you. And because he's with you, you have access to a, a power and a strength far beyond your own. You may feel powerless. You may feel like nobody sees the sacrifices that you make every single day. You may just feel the reality of your limitations, that you're at your end. Know that the powerful and limitless one is with you. And let me be clear. You are doing the work of God. You are doing the work of ministry. You're, you're trying to disciple your kids. Teach them the way of Jesus. And in the process, you're trying to make sure that they have enough food to eat and clothes on their back and that they don't die by jumping into a river. There are so many ways you are doing the nurturing, sustaining, preserving, and discipling work of God in your household. Thank you. Thank you. Because we live the power of God when we give it, and boy, do moms give it. I love this quote from Tom Smale in his book, uh, On the Holy Spirit. He says this, all authentically divine power is released through self-giving. What the cross demonstrates forever is that with God, power is self-giving and self-giving is power as Christ offered himself as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world in a way that neither can nor needs to be repeated. So we offer ourselves in and through him so that the benefits of his saving work might be applied to others. Isn't that beautiful? Authentically divine power is released through self-giving. We live it when we give it. And that is such a different take on power from the world, isn't it? It's not domination, it is self-giving sacrifice. And that's the way of Jesus. It's the call to all of us to, to follow him, not by stockpiling our own power, but by denying ourselves, picking up our cross every day and following him. We live it when we obey. We live it when we give it. And lastly, we live it with our being. Now, this is the last point, but it is probably the most important point. This point about being, that we are called to be. And living out God's power is not so much about our doing, it's about our being and who we are becoming. As we go further into the book of Acts, we're gonna see how all of the doing of the early church flowed from a deep, life of being anchored in God's presence. They wait on him as Jesus commands them to wait in Jerusalem and they obey. They pray, they worship, they attend to the ministry of God's word in their midst. This is the foundation for everything else we see them doing. It's their being with God, their spiritual formation, their character transformation that forms the basis for anything else. 
A.B. Simpson says this in his book, Power from on High. He says, it's not primarily power for service, not primarily power for service, but it is power to receive the life of Christ. Power to be rather than to do. Our service and our witness will be the outcome of our life and experience. Our works and words must spring from our inmost being or they will have little power or efficacy. Isn't that the truth? Because how often have we seen powerful people, charismatic leaders, and then it gets exposed that there wasn't deep character transformation in their lives. And whatever they built by their power in their life comes crumbling down in a matter of minutes. You see, the way that God's power is going to be really reflected in our lives is through our being. It's through our character transformation. As much as, yes, he will empower us to do things for him, he wants us to be with him. And he wants to transform us in the deepest places. He wants us to choose him when no one is watching, in the dark hours of the night, or in the privacy of our own bedroom. That's where the power of God, that's where the life of Christ is formed in us. It's not so much about our doing as it is about our being. Jesus said so himself in John 15, chapter five. He he uses the image of a vine and branches. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The fruit that the branches produce, what they do, is dependent on their being connected to the vine. And so the streetcar image comes full circle. It's about our connection to the living Christ, to the Holy Spirit. That's how we live out the power from on high. Apart from him, we can do nothing. That's the kind of life that God's power makes possible for us. It's, it's, this is the power that the Spirit gives. And what will happen in our lives together as we welcome the filling of the Spirit, as we welcome power from on high to fill us, is that our lives will be changed to glorify Christ because that is the supreme work of the Spirit. His power will be at work in us so that in every decision, every day, we move to glorify Jesus, that as we abide In him, we will glorify him. So, as we come to a close, I want to ask you this question. What are you turning to for power in your life? What are you turning to 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 fuel you? (laughs) Is it God? Is it money? Is it popularity or or comfort? Maybe for some of us, it's control. (laughs) What is your power source? May we turn to God each day and find our source in him. That his spirit would flood our lives with his presence and may we go into our days aware of that vital connection to Jesus. So quick that when we do something, when we uh, disobey, when we veer off the path, that we pause and we get out of the streetcar and we pull the cord and we get the rod back on the wire. We connect ourselves back to God. And may this result in powerful witness to Jesus in, in every aspect of our lives. Will you pray with me? 
Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come, that you would fill us with this power from on high. Thank you, God, that you have given yourself that this connection might be restored. God, if you haven't already done so, convict us of the powerlessness of all else in comparison to Christ. Cause us to obey. And cause us to give and, and most of all, cause us to be filled with his love, to be found in Christ, to root our being in him. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.